0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to this podcast. Um, So my name's Jimmy Paul. I'm the new, I say new, I've been the director at Wheel Scotland now for over three months, but I still feel new. Um, We work to deliver a wellbeing economy across Scotland and to influence beyond Scotland as well. Uh, This is really a follow-up to the business report launch that we had at Wheel Scotland, working in partnership with Remarkable for the Creating Thriving Businesses report and really why we wanted to get together was to talk through some of the questions that we didn't get around to answering. Uh, There were quite a few in the chat that people wanted addressed and there just wasn't enough time. So we thought we'd get together, have this follow-up session and answer some of those and more. Bonnie, would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. Yes, uh, my name is Bonnie, Bonnie Clark. I'm the chief exec here at Remarkable. And I'm so delighted that Remarkable are working in in partnership with the Wellbeing Economy Alliance Scotland and you, Jimmy, um, to help businesses understand and navigate their way around what it means to be a business working in a wellbeing economy. We have some Great questions. I've seen them, and I'm sure that we're going to get in deep dive into a great discussion.
0: Thanks, Bonnie. And lovely introduction. Well, shall we move into some of these questions then, Bonnie?
1: Yeah, great. I was just going to check that if people are interested in finding out more about the, the, the Creating Thriving Businesses report, they can find that on your website, the full report and an executive summary, or they can come to our website and we'll give you all the details of that um, at the end of the of the session. Is that? hundred percent, hundred
0: percent. Yes, it's all on our website, and we can make sure that attached to this podcast, you can see the links to those. Yeah.
1: All right. Should we just dive in then with the very first question? And I know that um, lots of people who are going to be listening to this will will know the answer to this already, but it's a, it's a great discussion. So one of the very first questions that we had was, what actually is a well-being economy?
0: So I can talk to this because I've spent so much time with experts, amazing people in this field. Um, so. In a sentence, it's a significant repurposing of the economy to be in service of people and planet and not the other way around. So it's about an economy of better, not just bigger. Um, It acknowledges the limitations of GDP, which was, as you know, Bonnie, produced 90 years ago by a bunch of white men in response to the, the Great Depression. And we know that despite rising GDP, For decades and decades we've seen increasing in work poverty food bank usage in the last decade has skyrocketed we're facing a sixth mass extinction and really in the past 18 months or so covid's pulled back the sheets on an economic system that isn't isn't working for us and it isn't designed to work for us and there are so many perverse incentives around gdp and faster faster growth and the unequally shared harvest that results from that so a well-being economy aims to get things right first time, rather than to get them wrong and sequester and fix it through taxation. Um, it has goals which are meaningful, as opposed to GDP, which is a little bit kind of um, specific and has so much collateral damage. Uh, well-being economy is regenerative and not degenerative and extracting. Um, it is purposeful and participatory rather than um, top-down um and i'll finish my little ramble with um a quote from diffid who have said the extent to which growth reduces poverty and increases well-being depends on the degree to which the poor participate in the growth process and share its proceeds now i know that's a little bit more about kind of social justice than it is business but business seeks to make a difference um at all all ends of society, and so I wanted to share that quote. What are your reflections on that, Bunny?
1: I I love it. It's really succinct and very easy to to comprehend. And but it is a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's a mindset shift, and and I think that also it it sometimes is confusing for people to understand the concept of well being economy when the 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 word well being is 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 used on an individual on a micro basis and and sometimes it's i think i've i've been speaking to businesses and they don't really necessarily see the the breadth and the you know the actual global seismic shift that is what we're talking about when we're actually talking about the macroeconomics of a well-being economy and i think that that's you know something that we probably need to to sort of help businesses or help just generally the narrative around it be clearer because then we have other questions in the chat that came through. How does a well-being economy differ from post-growth economy, or a green economy, or a kind economy? And, and I think that that's that's a really interesting um, debate that we all need to have, so that we're clear about what it is we're, we're saying. Um, for me, it's about well, we need to do more good in the world than extract from the world without consequence. And that, for me, is uh, understanding the, the the balance as well. You know, the concept of post growth economy. We 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 don't necessarily in the Western world need to grow anymore, but we're 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 totally wedded to the concept of it. We don't really know alternatives, in the general sense. What are the alternatives to shareholder return? And, and I think that's a really interesting debate that we can have. And 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 for me, we definitely need to work out together what the the meaning of all of these different types of economies mean so that we are clear in a trajectory and a direction of travel and a common goal that we can all be aligned to what what's your thoughts on that Jimmy?
0: you know i agree i agree it's so important and um one of my fears is, as well is that actually sometimes phrases words can become a buzzword and can become co-opted and mean something else by whether it's politicians or other ends of society um and we really need to hold true to what a well-being economy is as i've as i've described it and you know you mentioned post-growth economy green economy kind economy there's inclusive growth um there's green growth there's there's lots of thoughts around this and i've got to say there is so I'm no expert in this. I'm not an economist. I've got to say, um, so I'm learning every day in this role, and I love it. It's fantastic. But one of the things I've learned is there's way more in common across each of those economies that you've mentioned and those approaches um, than there is that sets apart. You know, in wellbeing economy is all about the composition and direction of GDP. We don't see GDP as an enemy. We see it as needing to serve people, and in many places, GDP growth is necessary. But what is the composition and direction of that growth? You know, who is it serving? Who is it helping? Is it addressing inequality? Is it addressing those who really, the situation of those who really need extra support and change? Um, a green economy, of course, sustainability is at the heart of a well-being economy, and uh, a circular economy as well. And the donut economics. Kate Rayworth is a big supporter of We All We All Scotland. Um, so. I share your thoughts around the importance of the wording we use and the approach we take um but I suppose what I'm saying is a wellbeing economy kind of encapsulates all of the key messages from the others and we've got support from people working in those sectors as well which is really um, fantastic. And as well as that in Scotland, we've got the driver of, you know, Scotland is one of the we Go nations, the founding WeGo nation, wellbeing economy, government nations. Um, and there are a few of those all over the world, you know, Wales, New Zealand and Finland and more. And they are explicitly committed to realising a well-being economy, um, which is great, exciting, um, important. So, Yes, I'm. I'm happy to kind of go with that. Does that make sense, Bonnie?
1: Yeah, it's really good. And I think that um, for the people listening, I think it's really good to remind everyone that in, that Nicola Sturgeon she did a great TED talk, with, and she spoke to the heart of of her ambition as a leader in Scotland. You know, to be part of that the government um, wellbeing focus. And I, and I, that for me is a sort of a mandate that we should all really consider what we're doing as individuals and as, as businesses and as families and as communities. Um, and actually, that leads on to one of the questions. I think it probably would be great for us to explore together. What is the first small step that I could take as a business leader on the road to operating as a well being business in a well being economy? And, and and for me, I think that the uh, opening up the conversation. And uh, and broadening our, our horizons to uh, to what actually a well being economy might mean is the very first step. Having a round table discussion with many people within the business is also a really great thing to be doing. I don't think that today uh, the hierarchy of a traditional leadership um, is serving our businesses and our communities and our world. Um, anywhere near as well as it should do and so we do need to really get the voice of everybody in an organization to be engaged so that we can see the perspectives of everybody and so for me that first small step as a business leader would be to consider to investigate what a well-being economy is just google it for example speak to we speak to us and actually open the conversation up to the rest of the organization and maybe start by saying what can we do in our community that's going to make a difference, make an impact? Something really small. And one of the things that came out for me really loud and clear on the uh, the research, the survey that we conducted together and the, the Creating the Thriving Business report, was that actually lots of businesses are doing things already that positively contribute to a well-being economy and they're not necessarily associating what they do naturally with Positively contributing to a well-being economy. You know, simple things like, um, for example, the governance or the structure of an organization. That might not be simple, but we definitely know that there are lots of businesses out there that are considering that. Um, simple things like having um, employee voice heard at every level of the organization, positively contributing to the local economy by deciding the suppliers that are in the community or how you can serve the community better. There are loads and loads of examples that we we discovered in that that survey. And I think those small steps are really positive and people might be taking them without really realising that they're doing something wonderful.
0: I agree. But I was really struck by you mentioning that and some of those examples in the business report launch, as well as what we saw in the survey, um, it was really powerful. It was amazing to hear that actually people are doing things and are rooted in their communities, might just not recognize it as such. But by doing the things that you've suggested, those small steps, looking at your organization, having a research, having discussions with Wheel Scotland or Remarkable or or others out there who may be pioneering in this area too, it's one way to start to think, well, actually, how can I do more of this? How can it have more of an impact? And you've given some really fantastic examples. One of my, well, two of my favourite examples come from breweries, unsurprisingly, in uh, Scotland, small breweries. And uh, one uh, looked at their work and said, well, actually, how can we, um, how can we use waste product, for example, from other nearby organisations to, brew beer and they found a local bakery that you, that gave them uh, the bread rolls at the end of the day so they weren't thrown out and they were able to brew beer from these leftover bread rolls and um, it's fantastic and they've not actually i think they struggled a little bit to do that through the pandemic but i am on their website every day refreshing seeing if it's back in stock and i can't wait to try one Um, but yes they did that and another brewery another small brewery used the excess heat from their production to um heat a local swimming pool and you think this just requires people to be rooted in their communities to think outside the traditional box and um can come up with some really fantastic solutions that make a difference to your community, to your organisation, and of course, I've got to say that the direction we're moving in, the increased kind of transparency, the focus on organisational ethics, um, I think social media. One of the good things is that it really helps to shine a light on this, and organisational ethics and what you know, how we treat our staff, employee voice, um, the the want of especially millennials and younger people these days to support organizations that are doing really good ethical work. And the more organizations can be rooted in their communities and take on some of these well-being economy related solutions and innovations, um, actually we're finding the more flourishing those businesses will be and and certainly through covid the more resilient those organisations were did you come across organisations through and businesses through covid bonnie that were maybe more resilient than others and and what what were some of the factors that came to mind that enabled that
1: oh it's really interesting so in the role that i play i we work with lots of organisations uh, third sector public sector private sector charities and all sorts of organisations across scotland um and they there were so many different responses to how organizations dealt with their people in covid because we are really about people and i think that there was this real focus on kindness and the organizations that focused on kindness and helping um, have really done amazing things that in terms of their, their engagement with their team their trust levels and um, that will pay dividends in the future and they will have uh, I really hope that they'll build on that legacy but that's interesting because diametrically opposed to that I had noticed that there were some leaders within businesses that were gripped by fear and their fear translated into what I would you know boldly say was really bad behavior and that some of that behavior might well have been simply um, micromanaging, wanting to check that everybody's at you know at their desk by keeping their cameras on, on, on Zoom the whole day. Um, there was no trust. And, and what little trust there was, was completely eroded. Now, for, for me, this, you know, linking this back to a well-being economy, it, it is about serving our people and, and recognizing, actually, that. You know, we aren't in the post-industrial revolution, it's post-industrial revolution, but we're not operating in this in the same context. You know, we, we want people to come to work with their full intellectual and um, cognitive capacity to positively contribute to the world of work that they're in and the organisation that they're supporting. So it's not a case of one person at the top of the organisation, the leader, the boss, the CEO, the whoever, does all the thinking, and then everybody else does all the doing. And, and the bad behaviour sort of reinforced, and again, that that f- fact that there are leaders who still, when they're pushed their backs against the wall, they're forced into that fear tactic, they don't know another way of operating. And that for me is it was a, a real shame, you know, but also it highlighted the fact that we've still got a lot of work to do. We've got so much work to do in the world when it comes to how we manage people, how we allow people to flourish in the workplace. So I'm, I'm just glad that there were so many great positive experiences. Um, and I really hope that those uh, leaders who were frightened and retracted and just went backwards in the way that they were leading. You know, can have a, a moment of reflection uh, now that we are coming out of you know lockdown, and perhaps can reevaluate that. Um, have, did you notice anything when that you know in terms of people management, leadership development um, in your world?
0: Yes, yeah, so I I wasn't actually at we all. Well, I've, I've only been here for three months or so, and. A lot less of my time has been spent with businesses, if you like, on the ground, as it has been meeting those that are our partners and, and different things I've had to do at the start of the organization, uh, joining the organization. But I was, I suppose I was in a different sector and maybe this is relevant to talk to as well. Um, I suppose leadership, we've got a question about leadership later in this podcast and um you spoke about leadership in the those that were gripped by fear and wanted to retrench and only hold on to their ways of doing things. And, and that that didn't free them up to innovate. Um, if you are rooted in your communities, it's so much easier to understand what they then need in order to live, survive, in order to purchase from you, work with you, partner with you, whatever it is that you do. And so those leaders who are much more able and willing to spend time with those they, they serve or work with or whatever, are those that have been most adaptive to the change that they've needed to see and actually that have flourished a little bit more through the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I would say just following on for that point, you, you, our community is filled with people who have great ideas all the time. They have different perspectives from us. If we don't ask and hunt them out and be curious about it then we're gonna miss so much
0: absolutely and i don't believe i've never believed you know i in a previous role i worked at the independent care review scotland's root and branch review of a care system which doesn't relate to business in any way but the chair of the review fiona duncan often said there's no such thing as hard to reach we must try harder to hear or people in which we we exist to serve in their communities and um, that's something I'll always remember and that certainly translates to exactly what you just said um, you know the duty the onus is on us and it, it will serve us well
1: yeah and I, and I, from our perspective the engaging of an employee voice is um, really a central germane to the Uh, engagement and the building of trust within an organization which again speaks totally to a well-being economy and how a business can operate in a well-being economy and I think that that as something as simple as doing an employee survey, gathering people around, asking their views and opinions, uh, creating a psychologically safe environment for people to speak up when they see things that aren't going to plan or they have a different perspective you know, changing the the hierarchy of decision making as well can really make a positive impact uh, on businesses. So, and a simple example, you know, Jimmy, when you're at the top of an organisation, you're often furthest away from the customer or the person or the or part of the business that you're serving. Whether that's uh, someone buying a product or you know someone getting the service that you provide. If you're a um, say for, for example a charity. And you're far, far, far away from the front line. And isn't it interesting that often the people who are at the front line that have all the information to help them make the right decision for either the product or the service that they're supplying and giving, they they don't have the mandate, the agency, the opportunity to make those decisions. And they have to go all the way back up many lines throughout a hierarchy, up to a decision maker who's far 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 away from the front line and actually that takes so much time and so much effort and often decisions are made inappropriately because the front line has all the information and the person who's making the decision doesn't see what they see doesn't hear what they hear can't imagine you know the the, the conversations and and for me that you know that change in how we make decisions or how information flows is is got to be something that we really consider when we we're, um, we're reevaluating how organizations are structured and to support and serve people in a wellbeing economy
0: I love that. Yeah, I'm with you as well. And again, I've heard many, many, many similar stories across the other sectors I've worked in, health and social care, the children's sector, um, people that are recruited to roles where they have the skills and the ability and the knowledge um, specifically trained often to make decisions um, in the interests of those they are closest to. And yet, for some reason, um, bureaucracy comes in and it has to feed up the chain. and. Decisions are made from those furthest away. It's it's a difficult one. But I wonder if that leads us on to our next question about finding networks of people and communicating with others who might be interested in this space. So the question that we were asked is: how do we address the challenge of communication and helping business understand why change is necessary and why support in the future will be shaped around these outcomes? Now I was thinking about this and I thought, well, there are some wider system, maybe even national kind of influences that um, incentivize and drive certain behavior. And if we think about Scotland, the UK, the Western approach to business, it's much more about competition than it is collaboration. It is much more about the relentless pursuit of growth rather than, as we've spoken about, employee voice serving communities. And it's much more, you know, the proliferation of the daily grind, you know, go to work, work really hard, barely have an evening at the end of the day, barely have a a weekend, you know, checking your emails all day long, all of these things. And actually, we know that those things aren't conducive to... And come into work with a clear head, coming to work and enjoying work, being able to switch off at the end of the day and, and do things that you really enjoy. Even if you enjoy work, you know, we, we all need things that we do outside of work at the end of the day and on um, our days off. Um, and I think some of the solutions are a focus on purpose and mission driven organizations, which I know is your bag and everything that you guys do at Remarkable. Um, and we've seen through covid that those that are more rooted in their communities and more mission driven a bit better been able to deal through the pandemic and i think there's also scope for a clear network which brings together people who are interested in different topics and it might be employee ownership it might be um business employee voice it might be um the triple bottom line it, it could be any of these things and um bringing people together around communities of interest to explore these, sharing really open spaces, what they're doing well, what they're struggling with. That actually is a key part of my role at wheel Scotland to bring together a network of allies or members. It's free to become a member. And we've got people from all across Scotland, uh, all different sectors, plenty of businesses. And uh, we're going to start convening those around communities of interest. So I suppose one thing that you can do if communication feels like a challenge for you and you want to connect with like-minded people is join we all as an ally and all we want to see is that you're committed to economic systems change bonnie what are your thoughts on that that question and and some of my reflections
1: i i think networks and bringing like-minded people together is really really important but i also think that it's really important to reach out and encourage people who have different views to join in as well because that the the fusion of views creates um, better outcomes, I think, as well. So, um, learning from each other, um, and and that's what I think is so great about the allies uh, concept. If we there'll be people from different sectors, um, different parts of you know regions, but this is about um, uh, diversity and inclusion, diversity of thought, um, but inclusivity as well and that goes back to my the the point that we made earlier together about having a common language but a common direction of travel so that we can make the most impact together and through those sort of uh, networks whether they are just a group of friends who have a you know a, a charity fundraising um mission um or it's a a community of businesses that um have syndicated together to to do something more bold um and that could be you know sectoral change at a macro government level you know there's influence that we can all have um at many different places many different levels within a a world hierarchy and, and that that's 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 what's so exciting it at remarkable we have um a number of different sort of networks that we use as well and uh we call them think big business improvement groups and they're often um, their businesses that and organizations that pre-COVID they were geographically based and they were for uh, companies that were investors in people and we would get together in a um maybe Glasgow or Edinburgh or Aberdeen um in the borders and invite our clients and we would talk about a, a particular subject that was you know of interest to the to the group of organisations that were joining us that day. Um, we would have a speaker and there would be lots and lots of peer-to-peer learning and growth and development and ideas sharing and it was just so wonderful to see how when you people got together when the, the, I mean the, the the underlying subject matter was investing in their people their people were the most important thing and how can we even up level ourselves even further it's such the the ideas and the, the, the joy that people got from hearing about good news stories was wonderful. So if we could really sort of max that out and, and, and really sort of grow those networks, I think that we would see such benefit in our businesses in Scotland as, an, as, a, as a nation.
0: You know, Bonnie, you started that by saying that actually it's not just like minded people. You know it's it's about the difference the divergence of views and actually i could, I could not agree more um, maybe people are like-minded in the sense that they're committed to making a change and whatever they can do um but the angles the approach to that might look different and what people can do and i saw a quote and it was from uh, the chief exec of an organization called involve um on Twitter recently and and he was saying we need to move from a way of working which is decide announce defend to engage deliberate decide and um I think you just captured exactly why that's important um more more concisely than I could
1: it's interesting because as humans we are so wedded to making you know to being certain we want certainty so because we're comfortable with certainty. And so sometimes when we have divergent views and we have that, you know, the diversity of thought, sometimes we become quite sort of entrenched in, the re- in our own perspectives as well, don't we? And I think that we we need to have moments of mindfulness reflection to actually challenge ourselves before we say discount someone else's views and say, no, that doesn't work. That's rubbish, um, which is so comfortable that cognitive dissonance that we don't like it when there is this emotional disconnect to what we hold dear. We really, really want to hold dear to it. We we've associated with a decision that we've made or a, a direction of travel that we're going on. But actually if we could hold our views and our um our decisions a little lighter And just so that there's a little bit of oxygen can come into the conversation so that we can open our own minds and our own eyes and our own views. That for me would be a real starter um, to just venture into how we as a nation can make a seismic change in how the economy works. It does feel to me, Jimmy, that there's the sort of the tectonic plates of the world have shifted. Through COVID. And they're sort of getting to the point where they're realigning, but we need to decide how to realign uh, before they're sort of set hard in stone again. And we've got this amazing opportunity to reevaluate every facet of our world, our lives, our economy, our business, our purpose, our mission, how we serve each other. Kindness stitches it all together. But, you know, we shouldn't lose this massive opportunity to have these discussions.
0: I, I couldn't agree more again. Um, kindness is so key. And our friends over at the Carnegie Trust have written a lot about kindness, kindness in work, kindness in public service. Um, and yeah, the tectonic plates metaphor. I love that. I really love that. Um, couldn't agree more. And I think actually there's a real risk of retrenching real risk of retrenching to what we knew, what well, you know, just reverting back to what feels safe rather than using this as a springboard to innovate in all of the different ways that we've both, but especially you have outlined today in relation to business. Um, and you know, actually, one of the this relates to one of the next questions we were asked: What support might wellbeing businesses be able need to be able to maximise opportunities for winning business from local authorities through public procurement, so that we can maximise the impact and reach local funding has? Um, and for me, this is about people adapting, understanding how they can, because there are plenty of Scottish national drivers for not retrenching you know we've got all this commitment to a well-being economy there's an increased focus on community wealth building of which business plays a part there's a huge and i i would argue kind of accelerated focus on net zero throughout covid and beyond and everything that young people were telling us kind of campaigning for before covid came along like you were saying we've got this unique opportunity what are your thoughts on how businesses can maximize their opportunities by winning business through local authorities?
1: Well, the simple thing is that there's always within a public procurement process, um, an element of community benefits. What are the benefits that the community will reap and get as a result of you winning some business? And so I think that this needs to be really considered. And that's also a step before that would be for businesses to consider their mission, their purpose, why are they in business, and what? How are they going to make the world better as a result of what they're doing, rather than extraction and um, and growth, as you know the the historic drivers of a business, to be the best, to be the, be the biggest. You know, I I think that if we took a step back and looked at businesses, and this is a, a lot of what we do, and part of the service that we offer our clients is to think about their purpose, their vision, their mission um, and their values in the context of making a positive impact on the world that they operate in. Leaving the world a better place. Now, if you can um, articulate that, including the whole of your team, the people that, that are going to buy into this, so that it isn't just one of those tick box exercises and it's something that's written on the wall or written in a handbook that's never actually referred to. Then as you've used that word rooted, people are rooted in a in a truth, in a reason, in a purpose. Then when you're looking at the public procurement process and you're looking at the community benefits part of any of those tenders, you can really be true to your mission, your vision, your purpose, your vision, your your values because you will have a clear direction of travel we we want to make an impact and a lot of what we do is working with young people and so um, when we're thinking about that public procurement process ourselves we think okay so how can we enhance young people's uh, young people generally we can do uh, workshops on helping them um, prepare for the world of work we can Um, do um, mindfulness sessions with them. We can um, educate them on um, writing their CVs and interview techniques. Everything, is again, is connected to our purpose. And that's just one example. So what businesses can do that will really make a difference is think about the community benefits in the context of their business um, and the impact that they're going to make. For me, that's a, a really, really quick win. Um, but it does take some thinking if you aren't at that place already where you, your team, and you know your purpose. So, I think that that would be a really easy first step, um, and it makes such a difference.
0: And and that reminds me of a book that I've not read for a while, but Start with Why by Simon Sinek. You know, what is the purpose? Who do you seek to serve, and how? And and what difference are you trying to make in the world? In in Whatever you do, um another tangible thing I would add to what you've just said is there are plenty of hooks out there to frame your work and make sure that 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 helps you align explicitly align what you're doing to a local authority's uh purpose and mission you know government's purpose and mission. Um, things like the promise, which came from the Independent Care Review, the incorporation of the UNCRC into Scots law, the commitment to a well-being economy. We know Scotland is one of the WeGo nations, as I explained earlier. Commitment to net zero, being trauma-informed, well-being budgeting, community wealth building. Um, find the hooks. You know, find those hooks that are in policy and the strategy of your local authority and government, and build those into what you do, as well as your piece, your the most important thing, as you've explained, is is understanding and articulating the why.
1: I think that there's an interesting sort of follow-on from some of the that I'll sort of perhaps merge two questions in the next one, which is, do you believe that managers can actually manage their people in a well-being economy? This is really um, an interesting question, and and the next question that sort of links to this is, what is the job of a leader, and what actually is a leader? It's really interesting um that this came out from the you know, the survey launch and uh, you know, creating a thriving business, you know, does does really come you know, there's a lot to do with management and leadership as well, but it's just one facet. What 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 are your thoughts?
0: Yeah, this this is I find this a tricky question and a really good question. that's probably the sign of a really excellent question, one that makes you think extremely deeply. Um Let's start with the leader question. There are different types of leaders. Um, you can have quiet leadership, leadership from behind, leadership from the front. Um, They're kind of uh, enigmatic leader, the softly spoken leader. You know, there are, leadership really is just uh, who, who are you and how can you best have influence by being authentically you? Um, that's how I would answer that. And so therefore the job of a leader is you can't answer that in a sentence or two it needs to be what is your role and how are you maximizing the influence for the social good um that's how i would answer it and it's a little bit vague of course because it it, such a broad audience will listen to this Um, what would you say about leadership maybe before we come to the other question about managing and the kind of well-being economy company structure
1: so for me a a great leader is someone who is true to themselves but also um, able to unlock the potential of others to serve the purpose of the organization it's about being your best self you know helping other people be their best selves um it, it's about unleashing the and unlocking the power that every single person has in an organization so that they have a sense of um positive contribution accomplishment achievement for their own you know personal growth as well it's not about just it's not just about setting a vision for the organization but those things are really important as well i i am um, a, a people person I want my team to feel that they are an important and significant part of the success of our organization. And our organization is a positive contributor to the success of others um, in the world, other businesses in the world. Our our ambition is to help others achieve their ambition. Um, And so to do that, we, we need to unlock the potential of everybody. So that for me is what it means to be a leader in some ways. Um, as well as you know the governance of an organization and you know protecting the long term um, sustainability of an organization, um, all of those things are matter as well but there's I don't like you, you know what is a leader? A leader is many things a leader has allows others to have a voice, a leader has you know um compassion, a leader is able to. Um, bring great ideas to the table but also to allow other people to unlock their great ideas so that they can be harnessed because one person doesn't have all the ideas you know, the the wisdom of the group um is so vital but to create a psychologically safe environment and a culture where people trust you that's the job of a leader as well so that we can you know, we can see and hear through the eyes and the ears of everyone in an organization, so we don't have blind spots ourselves. And I'm I'm ever evolving my, you know, my uh, my views of what it means to be a leader. I don't think that they'll ever stand still, but bringing and and harnessing the potential of others really feels like an important part of that
0: absolutely absolutely you know as you were talking it reminded me of my days in the health service when i worked in the nhs and i met leaders so i was fortunate enough to do to see lots of things across the nhs i was shadowing neurosurgery i went to see the how they made food in st john's hospital in livingston and spent time with admin and clerical staff at port it was absolutely amazing the orientation that i got as part of my work there and um, i met leaders In admin teams, who completely held together um, wards in hospitals, and consultants would say, you know, there is a a typical hierarchy, if you like, in terms of banding or whatever. But they would say, we would not function without that person here to hold this together. That—that is, it's not about seniority as well. That's the only thing I would add. It is about using your influence, and I suppose that—and you know—I saw people that kind of cooked the food. I saw the anaesthetist in um, a neurosurgery who was a, a fascinating kind of quiet form of leadership, just quietly holding things together with a smile that, that just felt really warm and inviting um, for the whole team, you know. Um, And that was amazing. And I suppose, yes, the reason I I mentioned this is because the seniority element factors in, which I didn't touch on earlier, but that leads us on back to that question. Then I think about how we can have a wellbeing economy um, in terms of the structure and how can managers manage in that structure. And I think, um, you put it so eloquently that the role of a leader is to bring out the best in people, to make them feel happy, wanted, they're special. And I think in a well-being economy structure, which we are trying, and again, this is a work in progress. So I'm not articulating this as clearly as I, I will in two or three months time, but I think it's really important that seniority is not a, an issue. We just see each other as people with skills, which are unique and important and valued. And, and I suppose the tension comes in there then around line management and the element of seniority there and where decisions lie. And I think as if you can make decisions, as you said earlier, as close to the individual as possible, and you are maybe talking about close to customers or close to those we serve. And, and I would say if you can work with people and people feel like they've worked with, in terms of employee and employee voice, I think that's another way to realize this. I find this really tricky to talk about Bonnie though and I wonder if you have other thoughts. Uh,
1: we we have a couple of uh, sort of leadership models that we we work really closely with and one is um intent based leadership and that's um a, a really great um way for for managers to understand you know how to lead with intent. So there are three sort of elements to that that might be helpful for people to to consider um and it's about you know when you're managing people, do they have the clarity of the direction of travel that the organisation is going, and the clarity of what is expected of them, where you know what they need to do, and do they have the competence? Have you trained them well enough? Um, are, are they able to do the job that you're asking them to do? That seems like a silly thing, but it, it's really, really important. Um, you know, so I, I remember as a as a young um, as a young person. At, um, school doing a temp job and i was just literally thrown in at the deep end and i had no clue about what i was doing um, and for me i felt so unhelpful i just didn't know what i was doing it made me want to do nothing and because i did nothing i was not asked to come back the next day but i just didn't know what i was supposed to do so you know, if you consider those elements, I think it's really a, a really, really simple tactic for um, for managers to to just consider, yeah. And then the last one is control. So if you are a manager and you want people to engage their intellectual capacity and make a positive contribution, you have to give a little bit of control up. Now, that's the hard thing. That's really hard because particularly as you get more senior, in fact, you know, for any manager, I think, no matter how senior you are, if you give away some control, you then start worrying about what actually am I doing? Because I'm feeling insecure about the fact that, are they good enough? Do they know what they're doing? Am I going to have to pick up the pieces afterwards? And if they're doing it, what am I doing? So we really need to trust our people that they're going to be able to do it because we've given them the clarity of direction and also we know that they're trained enough to do it. They have the competence to do the job. And if we give them the, that sense of, we give away a little bit of control, we, we're not holding the reins really, really tight, then people can you know, grow into their roles more. They have a sense of agency. They have a sense of contrib- contribution. And those three things you know, might sound very simple. But actually, it's a, a balance. It's a, you know the ebb and the flow, and the and the review and the reflection, and 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 that's a personal reflection as well. If someone does something that isn't quite right, in rather than have a you know a dis a, a, an aggressive discussion and you've done something wrong, it's more about okay. So as a, as their manager. Did I give them the clarity? Did I give, have they got the competence? Do I need to train them? Is this a training thing? Or am I giving them, to, uh, you know, get, uh, taking control and they're just, they have disengaged and they're not doing anything. So it's really interesting to have those internal, you know, mental discussions with yourself as a manager and then enter in to that conversation in a really non-confrontational way, non-judgmental way. You know, I've, I've, I've spotted this, I've observed this. Your language as a manager, as a leader, is vital to the success of your team, I think. Um, non-binary questions, you know, how, how clear are you, um, is a really good question, you know, because someone can say, mm, I'm about 80% clear, and then you as a leader could say, okay, so how, what, do, what do you need to know to fill out that 20%? What, how can I tell you more? What 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 are the gaps in your knowledge, rather than are you clear, yes or no? You know, are you clear? Yes, and then in the back of your mind, the person is—you know—you're thinking to yourself, not really. I don't really know what you're saying, but I'm too afraid to tell you." Um, so,
0: absolutely, yeah. gosh, you, you, I love that. Again, you've you've articulated that so beautifully, and you um, you brought me back to years ago. I did a diploma in executive coaching, and coaching skills are so important to, um, well Uh, a well-being economy but to thriving businesses as well um and what you're talking about is really not scrutinizing and putting people on the back foot in your behavior it's recognizing your position and your influence doing your own work taking a second and thinking right what's going on with me and my body and my head what am i bringing to this meeting and then asking the questions that are going to be most helpful and most constructive um and i love that and uh yeah i suppose a book recommendation a book that i bought whilst i was on completing that diploma in executive coaching was it's called the trusted executive and it alludes to everything that you've just said in terms of thinking around the whole situation it's trustworthiness within your organization but also externally as well um that's probably the Favorite book actually I've ever read, apart from one that I'm reading right now, which is *The Arrival of Economics* by Catherine Trebek. But um,
1: I would yeah. I would concur that that is a super book, and I'm <laughs> um, very much enjoying it myself as well. And if anyone is listening and is interested in learning more about the intent-based leadership, um, the the book is *Turn the Ship Around* by David Marquet, and we work really closely with David. Um, it, it it really speaks so well to a, a well-being economy. I'm really conscious that we're running out of time and we've been on a whistle-stop tour, Jimmy, of an amazing uh, set of questions and debates and discussions. And is there anything that you would like to um, to add and to sort of, to perhaps bring to this, this podcast to a, to a close?
0: Yeah. First of all, thank you for listening. Um, it's been lovely to kind of talk through some of these things and have so much interest in the business report, the Creating Thriving Businesses report that we worked on together. um, I think something I mentioned earlier that I would like to mention again, a key part of what we do at Wheel Scotland is bringing people together who are like-minded, but also who bring completely different angles and viewpoints and stages of where they're at on this journey, but people that can come together, and we can amplify what they do. We can connect people together. We can collaborate with them to help them be as, as excellent as they can be in terms of working towards, you know, playing their part in delivering a wellbeing economy. And so if you're on that journey and you're interested, get in touch is what I would say. It will benefit you for sure. And we'll do everything we can. And I might not have the answers, but we'll know people that do. We work with so many experts all across Scotland. And the final point I'll make, Bonnie, is, um, there are some wider changes. You know, We would like to see Scottish government do more to nurture cooperatives, to talk about employee ownership and employee voice, to really put their shoulder into helping businesses to deliver a well-being economy and incentivise that. Um, and we're working on that, and I suppose you can come and be a part of that through the Allies Network as well.
1: Wonderful. Jimmy, remind everyone of your, um, your website and how to get in touch
0: so our website is wellbeingeconomy.org um, so if you search for that um, you can look at the global work there's global work happening there are hubs bubbling up all over the world but there's also a scottish page there so just just head over to the scottish page link there and you can get in touch with me directly at jimmy at scotland.weall.org and uh, i would love to hear from you i'm also on twitter if that is easier for you to get in touch with me there jimmy paul 90 is my twitter account
1: brilliant thank you if anyone wants to get in touch with me then our website is thisisremarkable.com you'll find all of our contact details on there well thank you everyone for listening thank you jimmy it's been wonderful um i'm so so excited to have spent this time together
0: Ah, thanks Bonnie. me too cheers guys thanks for listening
1: thank you so much for tuning into our this is remarkable podcast today It was great to have you with us and we hope you become a regular subscriber. And if we've piqued your curiosity and you're interested in hearing more from Remarkable, then please do follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn where you'll be able to access a broad range of interesting and diverse content. Or you might want to check us out at www.thisisremarkable.com where you can subscribe to our regular newsletters.